You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi everyone, happy almost holidays. I'm a bit under the weather as you can hear in my voice, so I'll try to keep this brief. My guest today is Rachel Spencer Hewitt. Rachel is an actress and the founder of the Parent Artist Advocacy League. They're doing some incredible work right now, which I'm still just learning about. But at the beginning of December, right after Rachel and I recorded this conversation, they hosted their first annual national summit with representatives from institutions across the country. I was able to go uh, a little bit for the happy hour discussion at the end of the day and meet Rachel in person and get to experience some of the community and conversation that she's starting around supporting parents in the arts, and it was truly inspiring. You can check out what they're all about at paltheater, with an R-E dot com, P-A-A-L-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot com, and you can see Rachel's website at rachelspencerhewitt.com. This was recorded over FaceTime, and you will have some brief cameos here and there from Rachel's kids and my baby, so this was a true family episode. I hope you enjoy the 149th episode of The Compass. So the question that I always start with is, what do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Um, right now as a mom, I play with my kids, honestly. Um, there's something so present about the way they engage with life and, um, their needs are so immediate and, um, their joy is, uh, usually pretty easily fulfilled (laughs) that it reminds me, um, how useful I am and how Mm. valuable I am. Um, it also reminds me, uh, what brings me joy because I have, a very similar nature as far as like just insane curiosity and um interest in connecting with people and using my imagination always feels so good and they're always game for that so it's been a lovely surprise for me that um they're they're my little mini community (laughs) mini artistic community in my house um as a as a person i make sure that i um do the basics for myself, like go outside, um, mm-hmm. get sleep. Um, I have to see if I've skipped a meal, uh, or four, <laughs> <laughs> um, depending on the project. Um, because I am very good at turning off my needs and immersing myself in a goal oriented mindset. Um, but when I do that, I function differently. It's not sustainable when I do that for too long. Um, and so for me, you know, and the words, the term self care doesn't even really resonate with me. I think it's more about, um, doing the things that remind me that I am a living, breathing thing. I'm a living, breathing organism. Um, my husband will send me funny memes. Laughter is a big one. Just like going to that thing that I know, I find really funny, even if it's like an old Parks and Rec clip. Um, I, I just have to engage in like basic human acts to remind myself <laughs> like what a what a cool machine I am, <laughs> and then also remind myself that I I'm, I'm not meant to do um, to, to override that needs function for very long. If, 
I'm no, not sure if that's answer your question. It but. totally does. And it, I know it sounds so basic, but it's silly that uh, that is something that's so easy to forget. Yeah, you know? totally. I will say a guilty pleasure, especially when I'm working late at night, is YouTube karaoke, where <laughs> I like to search for karaoke tracks and or duets where the person who uploaded the video recorded like just the male part and I sing with someone and <laughs> it's like super nerdy and I do it by myself and I've only recorded myself a couple times just to just show my family like how ridiculous it is <laughs> but there's just something about singing karaoke and just like getting into a song that can really kind of bust me out of the the darker places I love that yeah <laughs> when I say that when I say the dark side what does that usually look like for you most often um being riddled with doubt honestly yeah like I know and like whether it's fatigue or whether it's um you know seeing someone from my past where it was a negative experience or something like that I know when I'm taking a when I'm walking the darker neurological pathways when I start to ask questions like well why am I even doing this well I mean am I am I good enough to think that I could why would and so the questions that aren't productive but um challenging value I find really dark because my my brain is also like a systems brain it's a problem solving brain and anytime it's presented with a question it feels like a fun puzzle and so it will play with it so if I throw the wrong question direction like well I mean why should I even be doing this and did I even do that thing well and like maybe there's a way I can fix this and and I I know that that happens to me even when I'm active in my art so I wish I could say you know doing art helps me but it's still possible for me to engage artistically and be like well they said that was good but was it good enough and did it land this way and and go down this path it's like what is it what a subjective what a subjective question system you're developing for yourself. What do you expect to get out of that? Um, and so, oh, I guess this is a better answer to that question. I have started to throw productive questions at myself when I feel those unproductive questions coming in. And they are, well, what did you feel good about accomplishing yesterday? What do you want to accomplish today that you know you can? And so playing that game, because my brain has to play the questions game. Um, <laughs> That's playing, great. Yeah, playing that game instead has been really useful in, in like, breaking out of the, um, yeah, bre- breaking out of the, the, the wrong domino effect. And also just, you know, being emotional creatures, I, I always have um, feelings involved with every moment of thought. There is no... I, I talk to some people who do not consider themselves emotional creatures or particularly artistic and they have thoughts and they have emotions. And for me, those things are interconnected, yeah. and, you know, inseparably. And I think that that can be really beautiful and beneficial, but that also means that I need to take care of myself when I'm having a difficult thought to say like, okay, this is my feeling associated with this thought. This is not who I am right now. Um, and it usually becomes more productive when I when I allow it to be a creative moment, as opposed to trying to change the feeling or um, or change it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever feel um, trapped by the word productivity? I know that sometimes, it, especially as a parent, it can just feel like we always have to be accomplishing something. I don't know why that just crossed my mind when you used that. Yeah. Word. No, that's great. I mean, I know that. Uh, for sure, very early on, and this is like so common, right? But the the experience of knowing that I had been doing a million things all day, and at the end of the day, it didn't look like I had done anything. And then you add on top of that, people saying, "Well, what did you do all day?" And I'm like, "Well, I didn't kill you in this moment," which is like props to me for even asking that question. Yeah. So this idea of productivity, I guess the way I've been using it is. Um, is output of myself into the world, right? Engaging with the world. Um, but it can, it, it has been used on me and, and it can be used to mean, like have something to show for yourself. Right. And, and I think that that's like a really dangerous and impossible definition because I, at least I've found having something to show for myself depends on it being a tangible, you know, uh, result. And it also depends on the person 
assessing it, whether it's myself or someone else, having the tools to assess whether or not that output exists. And then what do you do when you're alone (laughs) and there's no one to assess it? Um, How do you define productivity is a really, is a really big question. And as a mom, for me, productivity is, is knowing that I have engaged with my children in a loving way. Like I, I just have to reduce it to that as a foundation because I believe that my love is what they will carry through the rest of their lives more than anything else. And so it doesn't mean like being nice, like being loving because I definitely, you know, we're, we're all human, but it's engaging with them in love, letting them know that I love them. To me, I've decided it's my standard for mom productivity because it also is the only permanent thing. <laughs> They're going to be hungry again tomorrow. They're you know, going to need a bath again tomorrow. So if I'm like bathing and feeding them, it's like going to be a constantly, you know, self-fulfilling list of things to do. But loving them, I know, is building on itself. Yeah. Can you, just so people have a little bit of background on where you came from, I know that you grew up in Texas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then how long have you been in the New York? You're not living in the city right now, but you're nearby, right? Not right now. Yeah, right now I'm living in Philadelphia, but I still okay. work out of New York, like okay. auditioning and, and all of that. Gotcha. Um, but I moved to the East Coast after graduating undergrad in 2007 okay. to grad school and have been on the East Coast ever since. And I lived in New York in like 2010 to 2014 before moving to Philadelphia. Gotcha. How do, you, how do you like Philadelphia? It's so cool. It is a wonderful community of makers. And it's a, it's a significant city um, as far as like the function of our country, but it's also relatively small. Um, it's a bustling downtown, but you can walk it in like 20 minutes or 25 minutes. Um, so it's, it's a great place to live. I need the pace of New York in my life, but I like being able to run away to the sanctuary of Philadelphia to breathe and to live once in a while. Our acting teacher at Juilliard, Richard Feldman, was he was always talking about when we were there, he was like, Philadelphia is going to be the next great place for artists. We should all just move to Philadelphia. It's more affordable. (laughs) We should all just do it. Yeah, Um, it's a great artistic community. I will say that there there isn't a sense of like constant vertical isolated hustle here that you find mm -hmm. in New York. And so the Philly community is, um, is, is tight knit in that it makes sense that everyone's making things all the time in an interdisciplinary way. And I like that transparency that I found. Like it makes sense that you have all of these different modifiers after your name of like what type of art you make, you know, and there's not this like, okay, lead with the one you want to be hired for. It's like, no, I do all of these things, Mm -hmm. which is is more honest. I think a way to let artistic people live. Um, yeah, instead instead of like the people who are doling out the jobs and the people who are <laughs> struggling for the jobs, right? Instead of saying like I'm an actor, I also do other things, but I'm not going to mention them right now so that you right. don't think I'm so I'm a compromised me. actor, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's seen as like I'm an actor and I also paint and I also sing and I also do all of these things on top of it. Yeah. Um. Well. Since I'm a new parent, I am especially interested in your Please, experience yes. <laughs> your experience as a parent and an artist. Obviously, it's not the only thing I want to talk about, but I am curious how that decision went for you when you decided to start a family. Mm-hmm. What sort of things went through your head as far as reconciling that reality with this bizarre career that we were pursuing and... Um, how you were going to jump into figuring that out. Yeah. Um, I had, my husband and I had been married for three years, um, before we, we got pregnant Mm -hmm. and had our first. And, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. I always knew I wanted to have children. So it wasn't the, it wasn't that conversation, but the conversation was when, um, and I was, um, fortunate enough to have worked pretty consistently leading up to the point of the decision and it was for me just a moment of saying okay I feel ready my Mm -hmm. husband and I had been long distance throughout our 
uh, relationship and our marriage just because our lives are has have always been crazy um and then we moved together to philadelphia and with i, I didn't know if it was going to be three years or three seconds but within um the first month and a half or so i was like oh yeah i feel like i'm in a place where i could grow roots and and I only can articulate that now looking back. At the time, it was just uh, one of those deep convictions that I knew it was the right time. Um, in terms of like its context for the field that we're in, that is constantly demanding that you be ready all, all times. <laughs> um, I just and available, that, yeah, and available, ready and available, and physically uncompromised. Um, I, I knew that I was entering a gamble zone, you know, and it's like my whole story fell my but like the rolling of the dice and like, okay, I know this is going to present a challenge at some point, but I also know that it's right. And so, you know, I had long learned to listen to that voice. Um, and actually the weekend we started trying, I got a message from my agent saying one of the shows I, had, I was attached to might be moving forward. And we can talk more on Monday. And so I had a weekend to be obtaining. And I also had that weekend to decide, like, when we would start trying. And, you know, my husband was so understanding and so gracious. Of course, he was like, well, what do you want to do? Because, of course, he recognized this is, like, affecting me pretty directly. And, and I said, well, and I honestly did not think about this before I started to say it, but I said, well, I'm not going to put my life on hold for a maybe. Yeah. And I, like, I was telling myself that at the same time I was telling him, but as soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew that's exactly what I thought. And so we started trying, and then I got the call sometime that we said, oh, well, they didn't know actually now, and that they're still in negotiations, and it ended up being, like, pushed back forever. <laughs> and and I got pregnant almost right away, actually, and I, th- I, I think that that's part of, like, my, my body kind of knowing when it was also physically ready mm-hmm. um and that doesn't happen for everyone but that I did get pregnant relatively quickly and just this it was such a lesson for me in terms of that our industry is so fickle that why do I need to be constant and it's almost like if, if I can and I speak from like a very privileged perspective of having already built a career and, and all of that but if, if I can embrace the fickle nature of this industry then that also means that I can catch it again and in order to do that though I have to establish a life that 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 fulfills me to a certain extent and um and also be ready for for those challenges (laughs) I knew I was going to be challenged and I was and and I continue to you know look for those challenges now on purpose to defy them but um yeah, getting pregnant at that moment was a decision of I'm not going to put my life on hold for a maybe. And and I did the same thing with getting married. I got married right after grad school. And even though we weren't going to be able to live in the same place, and I was like, yeah, but I know yeah. that this is exactly what is he life is. Is he in the arts as well? Not at all. Okay. Not at all, which is another, you know, plus and minus. But um, a lot gets lost in translation. <laughs> no. <laughs> And then, so you have two kids now, right? And how I do. how old are they? Five and three. Oh my goodness! And I know you just finished um, doing a show. I did. Mm-hmm. Cry it out at Hartford Stage. That's right. Which I, I really wish I could have seen. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how you've handled working in the last five years since you've become a parent? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you know, what, what doesn't get the opportunity to get shared a lot are the, there have been the jobs and auditions that I've passed on that led me to tears and like full on ugly cries. Ugh. Because it's yeah. just not, it's just not going to be a situation that's doable or worth it or. Right. Or that I can afford. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all of that underneath the reality that, um, I have very supportive representation who has um, been by my side since showcase after graduate school. So going on almost 10 years now, but where they were talking to me 
in conversation right around the time that I, I had my first one, and this is this is not anticipated again, and now something that I say in retrospect, like, is good strategy timing if that's the sort of approach someone needs for their life, but where I where I should have been more specific about the jobs that I was taking and not just any job was right around the time that I got pregnant. And so reducing the auditions that I went in for timed out well. Um, I also had representation who was unafraid of sending me into an audition pregnant um, or postpartum. They're like, you know, that's their problem if they, if they can't have an imagination to know that you're a human. Um, and that's <laughs> that human beings take, which was also like wonderful advocacy. Um, but the way that I handle the jobs that I can take now, like at Hartford stage is the first line I look at is honestly the paycheck. Can I afford childcare? Mm -hmm. Um, and I also have the extraordinary privilege of, I don't live next to any family. So the day to day is almost 90, 95% solo parenting, which is totally chill. I'm cool with that. I work from home, but when I go on jobs, um, we do have parents who have flexible work or are retired who will take like a week or two and, and like come and do a vacation where I'm doing the job right. and stay with me. Of course, that also depends on um, the theater providing a space. So I need a paycheck where I can afford childcare at least a portion of the time, um, a room for someone to come and stay with me. And um, the way that I have also kind of refined the list now is especially when they were much younger, um, finding a location close enough to where I could occasionally visit where my husband was working so that they could see their dad and not be gone from him for three months. Now that they're older, I'm not as concerned, quite honestly, about that last point. But um, actually the way that it worked out with Cry It Out is that three weeks before the job started, one of my, um, uh, both of, on both sides of the family, I knew one set of grandparents who weren't gonna be able to come because someone was sick. And then three weeks before, someone got sick on my other side of the family. Oh, no. And so three weeks before, I knew that no one was going to be able to come. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> so yeah. I doubled down on, like, all the apps on my phone where you find babysitters, all the everything. I was a sitter on urbansitter.com for a very long time. And so I've always, you know, used that. I use Broadway babysitters when I'm in New York. Uh, but I had to like add care.com. I had to do all this, um, all the babysitting organizations, all the child care centers in Connecticut. I mean, I was pulling up tons of resources. And then I signed up for um, some au pair service profiles just to see what mm. was out there. Um, because I know, I know friends who have done that, but for a short term contract, it was completely unaffordable at first because for the way that the visa works, you book them for six months to a year, which increases the service fee just for full for transparency. So I was like, oh, wow, I can't afford that. Right. Um, but uh, to her credit, one of the women who works at the au pair service kept calling me and calling me and emailing me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's got to stop looking at my phone. So I just answered it. And I said, look, you're so sweet. I can't afford, you know, what you have going on. Uh, she's like, well, we have different payment plans. And I said, it's not that. I just need a babysitter for three months. That's all I need. You know, unless you have someone for just a few months, I, I can't do it. She goes, oh, let me see who I have. And she pulled up three or four names that had extension time on their contract. And she was like, so-and-so just needs two and a half months. So-and-so just needs four months. So-and-so just needs six months. And I, and I had no idea that was an option. So this is like a pro tip that I'm going to be writing <laughs> about now. So we're like, there was still that service fee, but doing doing a job and keeping my day job, I could afford the service fee and an au pair to stay with us in Connecticut and do the, the babysitting. And how does that, is it that you're just paying their room and board or do you pay them an hourly wage as well for an au pair? Okay, so I'm, I'm not sure if it's true how it works out for different services, but it's part of like um, a J-1 visa program. So the the restrictions are pretty tight on, on how it works out, but there has to be a room provided for them, right. a separate room. Um, their hours are very regulated, which meant that sometimes at, on tech weeks, I did have to get extra childcare because, mm -hmm. you know, we work more than <laughs> yeah. 10 hours a day. Some more days, than usually allowed. And they can't work more than 10 hours a day. Yeah. So you provide room and board and the groceries. If they want to eat something different, they, they can go out and get it. But of your groceries, they can, 
they can eat um, what they need. And then they get a day and a half off every week, um, a full weekend every month, and then there's a weekly stipend for up to 45 hours a week gotcha. worth of work, um, which was, you know, compared to what I have had to pay sitters hourly for rehearsals and daycare worked up being probably less than I would than I would have to pay in the past. Definitely less than I would have to pay for the full show experience. So, um, yeah, she's with us for a few more weeks, actually, um, until <laughs> December 10th. And then <laughs> the best childcare situation I've ever been involved in is gone. <laughs> Back to the real world. But it's been, um, yeah, a wonderful wonderful experience and definite surprise that that resource existed. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you mentioned your day job. How, how have you been piecing together that financial part of your career when you're not not in a show yeah Um, so when I was pregnant I was working about three jobs and we started to rent out part of our home for Airbnb and I was like I'm not going to be able to keep this up um when I have a kid and it turned out that I noticed that one of the films I had done is like my family's film company they were like doing some things on social media but just being you know, technologically adept. I was like, oh, I, I think I could help out with some, some of these things. And it turns out the woman doing the social media was very good. She just needed help. So they hired me on part-time as an assistant. Um, and to do social media? To do social media. And that happened right around the time I gave... By the time I gave birth, I had been um, working almost full-time by that point in their internal marketing. So I went from social media to doing remote internal marketing work. Um and I also mediated a PR meeting the day I gave birth. <laughs> so, like, oh my conversations <laughs> in terms of, like, what should family leave look like? I had no clue. Like, so much so that it, like, wasn't even on my radar. But um, it gave me the social media and the PR training that I ended up being hired on full time. Um, so I transitioned directly from giving birth to working remotely. And then this past year, um, my work with them closed out and I launched freelance completely my own business for um web and graphic design and social media content marketing and management um with with over five years of experience now in multiple accounts i was like oh now it's now it's time for me to be able to grow this and scale it and so um i've been able to support myself and this like the actor side of things and supplement our family's income working remotely because of my um, social media and graphic design abilities. <laughs> That's what I do. That's I, so work with my, I sleep with my laptop essentially. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome that it was something that you were able to learn on the job though. And yeah, and exactly. keep, keep for yourself once you left that job. Yeah. And I'm, I'm continuing that where I've, um, I've already started training one person that that I know and my hope is to um, expand the program you know so that I can provide work opportunities for people who need remote work which yeah. largely you know in our circle we know our mothers so yeah well especially yeah. if you get a gig where you don't have as much time or something exactly exactly and, and that's load. that's how it that's how we figured it out so like then working at Harvard stage being able to someone to do some of the research and prep work while I was in rehearsal mm-hmm. was incredibly helpful well, can we talk a little bit about the Parent Artists Advocacy League? Yes, I'd love to. How do you mm-hmm. pronounce? How do you pronounce the acronym? Just say PAL. Just say PAL. Okay, Big just wanted pal. to check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I I've just been learning this year about everything you've been doing, but it seems like an amazing organization, one that is so incredibly needed. What brought you to start it, or how how did you get it started? Yeah, well, like I said, I you know I had no clue in terms of asking for resources and 
and what I needed, and I'm very good at pulling myself up by my bootstraps and shutting off all of that, like all all of that that I said earlier in this conversation. Um, went into my motherhood where with great agent support and wonderful family support, you know, at least emotionally, if they couldn't be here, I spent at least the first year of my daughter's life um, pulling myself up by my bootstraps and making it work, and it was hard, but but it was fine. Um, I still experienced discrimination. You know, I started to journal about my experiences, like changing a diaper on the New Jersey Transit with my audition shirt in my bag and, and all of these, um, you know, getting a baby on the mega bus and <laughs> carrying your stroller up the flights of steps to drop your baby off at the coffee shop so that you could go to rehearsal or the audition as though you didn't have a baby and look fine. You know, like all of these, like, tips and tricks that I was giving myself on how to erase that part of myself. <laughs> I like, didn't realize that that's what I was doing. And so, um, you know, I, I, this is the story that everyone knows. It, it was like a very pivotal moment in my life. I showed up at a Christmas party, and it was a networking party. And someone asked me, how are you doing? And it was a um, childless male colleague who had pity in his voice, like very clearly ready to console me. And I was like, oh, actually, you know, it's going great. Um, I have supportive agents. I'm doing these auditions. I can audition as much as I want to, but I'm making it work because I'm ever positive. And he was like, oh, well, that's not everyone's story, so I wouldn't share that. And I felt silenced in that moment, like instantly silenced and very angry and upset. And the first question I asked, you know, of course, because my brain can't stop asking questions. The first question I asked is, well, why isn't that everybody's story? Yeah. Why, isn't that what people were doing and I realized I just assumed like we're all just like out here making it the best that we can but some people quite clearly were not um and I decided to go against his advice and instead of keeping quiet about it I started to publish a blog about it and I started publishing what I had been journaling in the form of blog posts on my blog auditioningmom.com and um I realized that it wasn't enough for me just to tell my stories of how I'm making it work because he clearly was protecting someone. I mean, he was saying it as though he were looking out for me and like trying mm -hmm. to protect all of us. Like it was good advice. And I was like, well, then I just need to find as many stories as possible from other people. And so I started the series called what she looks like where I was interviewing um, other moms in the arts and I actively sought out moms who weren't doing it anymore. Moms who had, you know, negative experiences and negative stories. And, that, and sometimes they would write me back. They're like, I don't think you want my story because it's not funny or positive. Yeah, it's not a feel-good ending. or Right. Like, it's not a how I'm making it work. And I was like, no, no, that's exactly <laughs> Sorry, I think Ceci just woke up, so my husband's going to come through and grab her real quick. Totally. Um, okay, so I'm sorry for that interruption. No, not at all. But you were, you were talking about your blog. Um that's so interesting that, that that guy at the Christmas party, he, yeah, he was obviously referring to someone in his life, but I, I'm just surprised that he was as aware of someone doing the parenting thing. A lot of, uh, a lot of single folks don't even think about it until it happens to them one day. Right, exactly. And, and I, I do think that's what it came from. It's, it, it came from him seeing someone fall away because of these you know parenting responsibilities. And what I realized which was later confirmed by this beautiful research um, done by the Wellesley Centers for Women. But I was like, we're thinking it's good advice to tell women just to like keep their stories to themselves because they're too different. Like that is textbook how misogyny and discrimination persists. Like, don't we know that? And like I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, I learned classic forms of control. Like that's mm -hmm. why we haven't progressed is because we haven't been allowed to get messy with our stories. We're not telling the truth that the reason why some people make it is because of luck and or privilege and or hard work. But there's a bigger reason why some people don't make it. And that's because there are no support systems in place. Like I'm more interested in why people don't make it than why people do now. And that, and that was the big transition for me. Um, yeah, so I started to research, like voraciously reading about support systems and ma'am, Ireland became one of my, like, um, my, my idol organizations. And, and then there's Pippa UK who did this incredible study on, on parents in the arts. 
and I wrote about them for HowlRound. And after writing about them, uh, my friend Jill Harrison, who is a director here in Philadelphia and creates a, an incredible community for directors called Directors Gathering, um, she said, well, what, if, what about starting something like that in the U.S.? And it just clicked as, as exactly what we needed. And in four months, we launched in three cities on the East Coast. And by December, we should have about 10 cities launched or ready to launch. And the idea is that these are chief reps creating chapter cities that are gathering the stories of their communities so that the resources that we build reach them. And so that while they activate those resources, they can engage the theaters and and the performing arts institutions in their community to develop those resources as well, like tangible support systems that reach where they are. Um, And the reason is because, you know, everything that had been done for the majority of things, I should say, that had been done for parents up to that point is how to make it work. And like telling individuals like, here's, let's go back to that word productivity. Mm-hmm. Here's how you can be a more productive mother. You know, did you ever try waking up at 5 a.m. and getting work done before the baby wakes up? And it's like, yes, I did. I wanted to die because I had been up till two feeding her. And it's like all of these, these ideas of like how to be a more productive mother and artist, how to be a more productive mother and professional. And if you were just more productive, you could get in front of the right people at the right time. And if you saved enough, you could afford the babysitter. But when I looked at it, I was like, but we're all already doing those things. And I am privileged in so many ways and it is still hard. So I know that anyone who lacks even one of the points of privilege that I possess could fall through at any time. Because I already felt like I could fall through at any time if I didn't like constantly keep myself, you know, auditioning, reaching out to people, saying like I'm still present, I'm still here, I haven't mm-hmm. gone off the earth. And I was like, well, we just we need to bridge the gap. And so for me, that became the mission for PAL is to have conversations with individuals and institutions to say like why why don't you have support? And what we found is that the majority, you know, what we actually found is that there was a handful of institutions who were already doing incredible work. Like, Elevated yeah. Repair Service in New York has been supporting parents for over a decade, like, putting childcare into the budget, doing whatever they want. Um, and I was like, oh, people need to know about that. Yeah. Because then there was a handful of people who were like, no, it's not sustainable. We don't need to do it. Like, actively discriminating against parents and, like, shutting them out. But everyone in between was really just either too scared to engage or ready to engage and didn't know where to start. And so we started to highlight institutions with the PAL Recognition Awards where you can nominate your theater for family-friendly practices so that people can find those theaters, those theaters can gain recognition for it. And then we also started the child care grants, which would help the individuals. And we said what we want to do is we want to create a bridge between the institutions who want to support parents and parents who need that support. And so we started to develop the Handbook of Best Practices, which is a collection of interviews with individuals and institutions who have created supportive best practices. And then we, what we're doing is we're breaking it down to itemize what the systems are so that they can be replicable. And that's why this past fall we partnered with the Playwrights Realm because the producing director, Roberta mm-hmm. Breda, her idea was to create a production that was as radically parent-inclusive as possible. And it became like a first case study for our handbook. Um, and now we're hosting our first national summit, right, at the public on December 6th to engage with institutions who are ready to have this conversation to say, okay, what's going well for you? What are you still struggling with? And what's the next step that you want to ask right. questions about? And we realized that the best advice we can give each other is the opposite of the advice I was given, which is to talk about it as much as possible. Because that's how we're going to find out, like, who has good ideas that we can share and swap with. Yeah. And, and who needs us? Who needs our good idea? Um, and and I, I just think it's going to, I know it's going to create a more sustainable system for our field and not just for um, mothers and parents, but what we realize is that within the community, all the obstacles that come from implicit bias and all the need for intersectional um, advocacy and, and, and allyship applies to parenting as well, to where it's not just about helping parents. It's about saying, how are you helping black mothers specifically? How are you helping single mothers? How are you helping parents who have children with special needs? And those conversations are going to be too scary if we're not even ready to have a conversation about supporting parents at all. Mm-hmm. But we're ready to have those conversations when we recognize our field is hemorrhaging women and 
and not having high retention rates for people of color and is trying to be more inclusive to people with diverse abilities, but we're failing. And the reason is because we're not accepting the fact that all of these factors are interconnected within the lives and lifestyles of human beings. And so if there's any topic that we're afraid to address, like parenting, we are already cutting ourselves off from the very people we think we're helping. Yeah. And so we want to, con- like, Pal wants to continue to rip, rip the tape of silence off of these stories so that we have to engage with them and then not leave the institutions just hanging with this, you know, call to action to say like, okay, now we've collected systems and structures that might help you do this so that we can partner with them to, to create that support, which at the end of the day, is going to support the artist. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm so excited <laughs> just listening to you talk about that. Oh, gosh. It's so, it's so exciting. Uh, I mean, I'm just so, I'm so excited how many people are saying, or like coming out of the woodwork to say yes, and coming out of the woodwork to say, this is what we've been doing. We want to talk about it. Because I, I think, like you said, it can just be so isolating and silencing yeah. if you feel like, oh, I'm, I want to have a family, but I have to do it in secret. And just, exactly. and just, if I want to do that and I'm putting that burden on myself, then exactly. it, that's my own fault in this career. You know, I should be giving everything I have to my career. Totally. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, I had my, one of my classmates from Juilliard, Mechia Haranwal, was in the Playwrights Realm production. Oh, and yes, of course. So I went to see it and, um, one, I was just so impressed reading about all the initiatives that they were doing, but then also talking to her about the specifics of their rehearsal schedule and she was she was caregiving an ill family member and that she got to benefit from those practices as well um it's just beautiful and inspiring and made me want to support anything that they ever do (laughs) exactly you know what I mean absolutely And, and that's the thing we if we want to expand this conversation to talk about elder care and caring for family members and the reality is just because we are a field that's that claims to be interested in stories of the human experience or Mm -hmm. stories that are told by human beings live. And in order to succeed at that, we have to take care of the human beings who are contributing and participating. And too often there's this idea of being dispensable as an artist or this idea of like, I did this to myself. This, this is for me to make up, you know, and nobody is telling the theater, like you're in charge of my kid, but I am saying like, you're bringing me on as a contributor in a society with no socioeconomic structure to support the citizens that I'm contributing to it, we're not making theater in a vacuum. Like, where do you stand on this side of the argument? Like, should we be supporting women in all their lifestyle obligations? <laughs> I mean, however you answer that question is going to be how you how you budget and and distribute your resources to your artists. And yeah. so this this summit is being attended by people associated with institutions. Primarily, there are some individuals who are attending to um, to engage in the conversation. Um, some people who are doing research on the topic. Um, some people who are are hoping to spread the word to institutions um, where they live. So um, that's the primary. But there is a happy hour um, co-hosted by Art New York from five to seven, um, and that's attended by uh, anyone at all. Um, but the, the theme is motherhood and leadership, and it's really just an intimate event for anyone to come and engage. And there will be childcare provided on site, and there's a lactation space, um, and children are welcome in the room just to talk about what it's like making things in this field. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's amazing. Um, have you had any artistic mentors who have been important to you in your career, whether they be people who you've seen be parent artists or not? <laughs> yeah, I, I will say one of the, um, a, a few people, and, and one of the people I will mention for sure is the, the first story that came to mind when I was, you know, parenting in isolation, I guess, is the way to say it, is... Um, when I was in grad school, like well before I, I knew, I knew it was far from the time I was ready to have kids. I was in grad school. 
I guess I was engaged. That was like the closest I was to, you know, creating like a life path that direction. But I was standing in the light, <laughs> um, literally, not necessarily metaphorically, but I guess metaphorically as well, um, during a tech rehearsal and just like holding my spot. And there was a assistant stage manager next to me. We we're just like making conversation and some something came up where she mentioned, you know, how Sarah Roll, um, was feeding her twins in rehearsal. And I was like, she's wait, what? And like fireworks went off in my heart. And I was like, that sounds like the coolest rehearsal. <laughs> and she was like, because I also like really appreciate dismantled systems. And she, and she was like, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it goes great. And I'm sure that, you know, there are things to work out, but like, she just did it. And I was like, that is incredible. And she was already like an artistic hero to me, but that's when she became like a hero of womanhood for me, that she mm. was able to bring that part of her life into the space and still be who she was. And then the story like disappeared in the back of my mind. And I didn't think about it again until around when I was pregnant, like close to birth. And I was, and, and that came back as a memory. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's right. That's what this is now. I'm, I'm on that path now. And, and I know it informed my decisions. Um, and then, um, a, a few years later I was on the Broadway con panel, um, on parenting and I was on panel with her and I got to meet her in person. I was like, <laughs> you have no idea your decision. I was like, your decision influenced me in such positive way. And now she's part of our advisory board for PAL and has provided an inner her handbook. And it's just on motherhood and mentorship actually, Fantastic. um, which is really incredible. And then I would say the other person is my sister who is a single parent and I saw her pursue theater in every way she possibly could. Um, even through single parenthood, which is, you know, I'm like, well, I solo parent, you know, like that's tricky or whatever, but single parenting, these are the individuals who like they deserve for the village to rally around them as much yeah. as possible. I mean, just the, the incredible sacrifices that, that they make. And, and I saw her make those sacrifices, work the multiple jobs, and then do everything she could to get herself into rehearsals and her daughter into rehearsals to have those experiences and to perform and to direct. And that, like, that level of sacrifice to be involved in, in theater, whatever cost, I was like, I need to remember this. <laughs> like, I don't know if I have what it takes. I'd be like, well, she and what can I do to, to match that? And, you know, what can, <laughs> this is, it's not just about what can I do to match that, but also like, what can we do to change that? You know, yeah. <laughs> because so much of the work that we do, and I'm sorry for crying on a podcast, <laughs> no worries. but like, so much of what we do, you know, has to do with like the theater family and all of us collaborating and bonding together. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it just, it doesn't mean anything if we are not considering what is the greatest need of the person in the room with us. Like that's our standard right there. Not like what's the average need. Like we should talk about what is the greatest need in the room, the greatest access need, and how do we meet that? And when we have that conversation, we we will meet all the others. <laughs> Not to take it back to that, but that's yeah, that's been a big um, influence in this in this journey. When I realized, you know, what what privilege meant in terms of my artistic pursuit, and then I will say, um, just as as a as a performer and an artist some of the actresses I think who are amazing are Violet Davis and Kate Blanchett and um, of course Meryl Streep but largely because these are women who um, have so much uh, fire uh, in, in their truth telling like there is a there's a power to them that's unapologetic even when they're vulnerable and I I just um, I'm really I'm drawn to that and I relate to it very much in the way that art speaks to me so yeah to answer your question in three ways <laughs> amazing, question. amazing answer um are there any lessons that you've learned in the last couple of years that you're really proud of yes um that whole done is better than perfect thing that keeps splitting around I learned that it's true 
um, <laughs> I had to get myself to do it. Um, were, you, were you a perfectionist in your past? Yeah, and I would say I'm still a perfectionist, but it's a daily choice to not fulfill it. Um, yeah, like perfectionism can be so deceiving because it's not real. Um, yeah, so perfectionism is a is a tasty treat. It's a carrot that dangles in front of me, and I'm like, just don't walk. No. <laughs> just get it done. Sit where you are and get it done. Also, going back to your word, productivity. What does that mean? And before it used to mean perfection to me, but now that it just means to engage outwardly, it's it can be accomplished. <laughs> um, the other lesson I would say um, is uh, invest in friendship. I'm yeah, I'm very self sufficient, but I'm starting to realize that that doesn't mean I have to be. Yeah, you know yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, like I, I have I have choice in, in that realm. Um, and then I guess the other thing is, I'm trying to think how to put this. When, for some reason, around the time when, um, the, the past couple of months, around the time when we went to Hartford, whenever I'd open the fridge before I left to see if I, I like needed anything, my daughter would come up and she would say, did you get something to drink? Did you get something to eat to take with you? And I was like, oh, actually, I did forget my water, but thank you for that. And and yes, I do have a lot. She's like, okay, great. And I'm like, and I, I tried to trace it back and I can see like my husband and I doing that for each other. And now then to like receive it from like such a tiny creature with like authentic, genuine concern. I was like, oh, whoa love is contagious like oh. love like behavior is learned and and I think that that's why I I offered that um that investing in love is like my my standard of productivity is because very recently I've seen learned behaviors in them that are loving and also probably not some positive ones that I have but like the learned behaviors that are loving I can really trust that it's reaching them so like just love is contagious if like if I just like give it it might not show up for a little bit, but one day your five-year-old will ask if you grabbed your lunch and you're like, you really care if, I, if I'm going to eat today. And that is like so beautiful because that's not your job. That's not, you know, your obligation, but you're looking at me like, you know, that's how you say I love you to someone. And it's, yeah. So love is contagious. That's what I would, I guess how I would put it. That's wonderful. Um, there are a couple of questions I usually ask at the end, but before yeah. before we get to that, is there anything that I that you really wanted to talk about that I haven't touched on? I don't know. This has been a wonderful conversation. I feel like I've monopolized the time a little bit, maybe. No, and... I mean that's it's an interview, so okay. <laughs> it's designed um, to be that way a little bit. I was curious how do you how do you define the dark place? I mean it's, it really is truly different for anybody. I think for me, a lot of times it manifests in that, that self-doubt and that comparing to others and talking to myself in a way that I would never let anyone I love talk to themselves, that mm. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like you said, like getting to that point of like, well, was I ever good at this? Should I be doing this? <laughs> is everything a lie? <laughs> is it all a lie? Is it a real one? I mean, that's yeah. a you are, you've gone down this path for a while now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's interesting, especially when I found out I was having a daughter, like something about my feminism, which I had, you know, internalized for a very long time, registered in a different way. And when, you know, and like she can be whoever she wants to be, but she's like very proudly a young woman and believes that she is an adult woman. And so she's, like in charge, but this idea of, of I knew when I was pregnant with her that she would know when I was lying about believing in yourself, mm. and, um, that you have every right to walk into every room, like all of these like feminist like mottos, yeah, that, like, I internalized, but I like really struggled with in, um, activating for some reason. I knew that she would know when I was lying, <laughs> and I was like. I need to, I need to believe these in order for me to teach them to her. And so this idea of, you know, um, yeah, 
I don't, no, I love me. that you put it that way, that you're relying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If I'm like, you, you deserve to walk into any room you enter. And, and I still have that self-doubt. I knew that it was going to read to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also believe that children are truth tellers um, naturally. So they pick up on that. But it, something about motherhood allowed me to let go of that per- perfectionism, recognize the dark place to be those areas of self-doubt, and then say, telling the truth to myself isn't just about myself. It's how, it's how I talk to other people. It influences the way I engage with people who look up to me. Um, so yeah. that's been, I guess that connects to like what I learned before, but it's nice to hear that the dark place speaks to you like that as yeah. well. No, I mean, and it definitely makes me reevaluate constantly. Like the things that the things that maybe I've been holding on to too long that I, I definitely don't want her to see me do or the, the victim mentalities or the, the beating myself up or things like that, that I'm like, you know, I need to figure that out now Yeah. because there's not time anymore. She's here and she's going to be learning that from me, you know? Totally. Thank you so much for explaining. I almost want you to say that without the sound interrupting it in the background. Thank you for telling me you're welcome to get your But, but is it, that's so much better said. Yes, the, I, I kind of want you to say it again. But yeah, those things that I had a hard time letting go of. Um, I mean, and there's something valuable, I'm sure, in her seeing me figure those things out in okay. real time. But it's also I mean, like... so sweet. Thank you, my love. <laughs> um, but it's also a little bit like, oh, time's up. I should just get over that now. Totally. And, and I, honestly, I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> Hundred percent. No, hundred percent. Like I tell people, I'm like, there were insecurities that I struggled with, like tooth and nail, throughout my twenties. That, for some reason, I don't know if it was like maybe I'm just too tired and I didn't have the resources, but like some petty things that I just felt fall off me. And I was like, right, because we're not doing that anymore. We're doing this new thing, and it was this bizarre wake up call. And and I feel like I can be honest about that because I'm never gonna be out of things to deal with. <laughs> prescribe to this idea that it is healthy for children to watch me work through uh, what what I'm going through so that they learn what that process is yeah. for them, right? I believe in that transparency 100%. I also know that I can get rid of my bad habits because I'm not going to run out of them. <laughs> so it's like, maybe it'll be more digestible to them if I like minimize and prioritize what they do. <laughs> no, that is so well said. Uh, so, so thank you for that. Um, okay. So when you are feeling like you're in that dark place or uninspired, are there any tangible things that you reach for again and again, like books that you reread or music you listen to or places you go? Yeah. This might take me a, a little bit, but um, I'll, I usually start with the funny ones, the weird ones, because those are easier to think of. Um, and one is the documentary Every Little Step when they were doing the casting call for Chorus Line. Oh, I haven't watched that. Now I definitely want to. But I will say, I have seen it about 12 times. And, um, you know, they very expertly weave the narrative around the song, What I Did for Love. That, like, this is this is what we do. This is what we live for. And even when I'm, you know, you know, part of my PR job when I first had my daughter is I had to like travel to different parts of the country and I would take her with me. And then I would just like hire a babysitter for the event while I was there. Like that was, so my day job did have some non-remote qualities at first that were difficult, but I mean, even when I'm like on the job for something that has nothing to do with my art and I would like watch that documentary, I would be in their shoes. I would be in their Leducas and I would know what it felt like to stand in that line and stand in that room and even even empathizing with their heartbreak, it felt like home. I was just like, oh, yes, oh my God. High <laughs> kick, high kick, high kick. And it's just so good. So that's a recommendation. Okay. Um, and then I, I also, I, I like I said, I find something that makes me laugh um, on the outside. And, and that's like Parks and Rec. It's, it's stupid stuff like that. Parks and Rec. Um funny videos on YouTube. Um, oftentimes it's because my only resource I have is my phone. So that's where I find it. Um, but, 
but I also have to say that um, talking to someone who knows me and knows what I want is really helpful. Like taking the conversation outside of my head. Yeah. Um, like, and so my husband and my mom are two people. My sister would be as well. And now my brother who lives in New York. So like I said, when I say like personal system of support, people like that where, you know, if I sit down with them and I say, I just don't know, like I feel completely tapped out of, of any inspiration. I feel like I failed at XYZ today. I don't even feel good enough to, etc. And then they look at me and they believe I'm all the good things that I need to be. Um, there's a book, I don't know how it's dated, but I read a while ago called How to Be a Woman by Caitlin Moran. And, um, in it, she talks about finding people in your life who are toxic is like looking at your reflection in a broken mirror and you look shattered to yourself because you're with people who reflect back on you, a shattered version of who you are. And she's like, but when there's like a clean and perfect mirror of those people in your life who can reflect yourself back at you, you get a clearer assessment. And it was just, it just such a, an image for me of, of the people that I knew at the time and, and who was helpful and who wasn't suddenly became so much clearer mm-hmm. that the people worth my time and the, and where I should go in those places of, um, of that darkness, like you talked about, I was like, who has a clear reflection of who I am? Who's going to tell me the truth and not the, like, not the truth that like my inner critic is telling me I'm not seeking out the criticism, but I'm going to seek out the truth of the good that I have to offer of the good that I've done before when I can't remember it myself. So, I guess that's that's a book. That's a moment in the book, um, and and that's a practice that um, that I've developed probably too slowly, but mm. that I do now. I love that. And then the final question is: Have you seen anything recently of any art form that you want to recommend? Oh well, I will say our production of Cry It Out at Harvard Stage was amazing. It's <laughs> So I recommend it in the past, and um, it was so good. Um, but recently that I've seen, um, I mean, really the only thing I can think of, it's it's from nature, which is weird. Um, but I recommend people look up the bees nests that look like works of art. Bees nests? Yeah, right. Okay, okay. so I'm... Congratulations, I'm the weirdest person you've ever interviewed, but <laughs> there are these bees nests that um, are kind of going viral right now for looking like works of art, and apparently the bees build them out of like different color leaves and different materials and textures, and they look like um, a visual collage. Oh, cool. And it is, uh, and, and, and I, I started off doing visual art in college, and which is, you know, well, I made a graphic design later on, but the reason why it's important to me is because I'm seeing a creature other than myself as a maker create a, a tangible structure that is so vibrant with color and they're doing it for utility, but it's bringing me joy. And mm-hmm. so there was like a relationship that I had with this image when I saw it and it just like came across my Facebook feed, but where, you know, it's those moments of surprise inspiration where there's almost gratitude that that bee is just living their life because them just living their life like created something really beautiful. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This oh, made my pleasure. made my week. No, oh, I'm so glad, and it is such a joy to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist, and would like to support the ongoing production of the Compass please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the compass podcast pledges start at as little as $1 a month. Anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. Check out the compass podcast on broadwaypodcastnetwork.com and the I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The compass cover art is by Kim Miller music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.